What a privilege to be here once more. And let's come before his word with a word of prayer. Amen. Heavenly Father, this is your word. We know that you gave it for our edification. You gave it for our correction. You gave it for our training in righteousness. You gave it to understand the way of salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that by your spirit, your word will do all these things for us by faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We don't usually associate Old Testament prophecies with joy and celebration, right? But our passage for this morning on Zephaniah is one of those gratifying exceptions. In this passage, God is described as having exalted joy because wickedness, injustice, sin, and fear have come to an end. What a beautiful ending for a book that begins with the threat to completely eradicate everything on earth, announcing almost a second flood on earth, but this time not with water, but with fire. In Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, the prophet calls this event the day of the Lord. And later in the same chapter, in verse 8, he calls it a day of punishment. But Zephaniah 1.15 describes it the best. And if you go and open your Bibles, and if you are able to find Zephaniah in your Bibles, that is after Habakkuk and before Haggai, if that helps for a direction, if you open your Bibles in the verse 15 of chapter 1, we are going to read a description of this day, the best description. And it says that this day of the Lord is a day of wrath, is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. And you are saying right now, I thought that you were saying about... Uh, a joyful moment in the Old Testament. But what is the reason that God was giving this very dark prophecy through Zephaniah? Well, Zephaniah was one of the prophets during the reign of King Josiah in Jerusalem. By this time, the northern kingdom called Israel had already been in captivity for more than a hundred years. God, in his patience, 
had warned the kingdom of Judah that if they did not repent of their sins, the same thing would happen to them. King Josiah had instituted some spiritual reforms in Judah, but they were a little bit too late. Zephaniah had to announce judgment on his own nation because his own people refused to turn their evil ways to God. After the prophecies in chapter 1 and chapter 2, there was no hope for optimism. But it is there that the prophet Zephaniah declares that things will change for the best. Not because of the people's doing, but because of God himself. And that's if you go today in the afternoon and read the previous verses of chapter 3, you will read that it's God's doing this new thing. And building on this little sparkle of hope, the prophet brings a song of joy in verses 14 to 20. The message is pretty simple. This world is a complete mess. And even God's people have failed God. But the prophet announced once more that God never gives up on his people. This message is for us today as well. Look around and look at yourself. We have little to rejoice in these days. It reminds me of the story of a grandmother playing Christmas carols on the piano for her four-year-old granddaughter. When the grandmother played joy to the world, she thought her granddaughter would enjoy hearing the words of this famous song. So she started to sing as she played. But a few words, the grandmother, but after a few words, I'm sorry, the granddaughter said to her, just let the piano sing it, <laughs> grandma. She didn't appreciate her grandmother singing, although she enjoyed the song. Same here in the times we live in. This is the season of singing, but sometimes we don't feel like singing. This is the time, this is the season to rejoice, but we don't always feel like rejoicing. So what do what to do in those times? What do we do when our life is not what we expected? What do we do when 
Difficult time, difficulties come like waves of the sea, one after another, and, feels Ill, in, in, and it feels like we don't have a moment to breathe. What do we do when we are too ashamed to sing because we have done things that dishonor the name of the Lord? What do we do when we are afraid to sing because we are not sure if God will come to our rescue? Well, let us take to the heart the words of Zephaniah. In chapter 1 and 2, Judah was an object of condemnation, of punishment, and God's judgment. But now, in chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, Judah is addressed with the tender, na the tender names God gave them before. Names like daughter of Zion and daughter of Jerusalem or with the name Israel. <clears throat> and I like the name Israel used here before because it is the name God changed for the cheater and liar Jacob. Could you picture God saying to Jacob, you are no longer a trickster, a liar, or a fake. Your name from now on will be prince of the people of God. Those are the names God is using here in Zephaniah verse 14. If you read with me verse 14, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Notice that he's not saying, not, he's not saying daughter of Sinai, where God came to the people of Israel in thunder, in a cloud, in the strongest voice. It says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, not Jacob. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is one word for praise upon another. Did you notice? Sing, shout, rejoice, and exult. Why is that? The reason is that despite of the dry future, there are still many reasons to praise God. So sing and rejoice. Shout out loud His praise. Don't keep silent. Instead, boast about God's great grace and goodness as loud as you can. But now let's look closely at the reasons for this sudden joy. Zephaniah directs us to the Lord himself. 
the one who guarantees us salvation. Zephaniah verses 15 to 17 says, The Lord has taken, has taken away the judgments against you. That is the reason why you will rejoice. And who has taken away the judgment against you? The Lord. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, the Almighty, the Yahweh, the great I am, is in your your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Verse 16. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord, verse 17 again, your God is in your midst. A mighty one. In another version says, a mighty warrior who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Who will rejoice over you? He. He will quiet you by his love. You're going to be speechless. He will exalt over you. Can you imagine God exalting over you? And you are asking me, yes, over you with loud singing. I always have imagined, always in heaven myself singing to God. Telling everybody about him. But this verse is the opposite. It is God the one who is going to be loud. He's not going to be like, yay. Loud singing over you. And this is the reason. The reason is that God has removed the judgment we deserved for our rebellions and sins. And those who used to bring charges against God's people are no more. That is the reason that we can rejoice. God the Almighty is the King of Israel, and as a king, he is there to shield the people of God from disaster and from evil. In this new reality where God removed the guilt and nobody would bring charges against his people, the forgiven sinner receives words of encouragement and is told not to fear. That's what we read in verse 16. Fear not Zion. Everywhere in the Bible, fear not is often used as the formula that God announces God's appearance to his people. You can find it in Genesis when God appeared to Abraham 
Fear not. When God appeared to Moses, fear not. When God appeared to Joshua, fear not. And goes on through the whole Bible. So here again, Zephaniah reminds the people of the coming of the gracious Lord who will save them from the debilitating effects of fear. Why should we not be afraid? Stephaniah's explanation is based on who God is. First, we read in verse 15, the prophet presents the compassionate God as the king of Israel. Two weeks ago, a friend who is not a Christian told me, I don't like the idea of God as a king, and I prefer a democracy, she told me. And I understood her concern because we only know kings from this world. And the reality is that there are more bad examples of kings than good ones. But here, Zephaniah proclaims that God the king is the only one who can possibly make a peaceful world for the redeemed. There is no other. But the second explanation on who God is is in verse 17, where God is presented as a warrior. The picture of, the picture of God as a military figure may sound outdated or even dangerous for us. This warrior figure however, does not go to war to destroy and plunder. The divine warrior defends, delivers, and protects the people of God who have nowhere else to run except to God. That is the picture of God as a warrior and that is God's story in humanity's history. God looked upon us, the one he had created, undefeated, undefended, I'm sorry, defeated, broken, and under the slavery of sin, death, and hell, and he decided to come as our king and as our warrior. That is the story of Christmas. It is the story of God with us, Emmanuel. So there is the reason we can sing, we can rejoice, we can shout, and we can boast about him. The king warrior is 
different. The king warrior is different. You see? He didn't come to be born in a palace. He came humbly to be born in a stable. He himself said in John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What a difference, eh? And if you want to understand this king warrior, notice what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. That is the, 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 the complete description of this king and warrior. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the kind of king we have. This is the kind of warrior we have. The people of God do not need to be afraid of God's judgment. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus, the king, did not come to condemn us or to judge us. He came to save us from our sins, from the devil, and from eternal condemnation. In 2016, four buildings collapsed in eastern China, killing 22 people, with five surviving this tragedy. When they removed a thick cement pillar, they found a three-year-old girl wrapped tightly in her dead father's arm. One worker told the report, the child was able to survive entirely thanks to the fact that her dad used his own flesh and blood to prop up a life-saving space for his daughter. That, my friends, is what Jesus did for you and for me. Jesus came to be crushed on our behalf by the weight of our rebellions. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins so we could live forever with him. God's judgment that is in chapter 1 and in chapter 2 in the book of Zephaniah came crashing down on Jesus who used his own flesh and blood to prop up a life saving a space 
for you and for me. That is why we can say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the reason why we can rejoice. That is the reason why we can sing. That is the reason why you can shout out loud praises to God. Who instead of punishing us, He sent His Son to be crushed. And therefore, rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem, O daughter of Zion. Now the joy, now this joy is still to be completed. Zephaniah Verses 18 to 20 presents a picture that we are still yet to see. If you read it with me, in verse 18 says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival. I wait that day. <laughs> When God is going to, to mourn with us. So that you will no longer suffer reproach. Verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all, all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Uh, counting your Bibles the times that he is saying, I will. Because this is, again, this is God's doing. It is not our own doing. It is God who is promising that this is going to happen. Verse 20, at that time, I will bring you in. Wow. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restored, restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Oh, that day when every eye will see him. The second coming of the king warrior is still yet to come. 
But in the waiting, we hear the voice of the Apostle Paul joining Zephaniah in saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. The one who came the first time will come again in splendor and in power. And he will wipe away the tears of those who waited for him. And there will be a never-ending joy for the redeemed. And this time, every eye will see him and every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. Today we lit the pink candle of joy because the Lord our God is in our midst. Do you believe that? So together this morning we can say joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for these encouragement words. That we are now in Christ Jesus, safe from all condemnation. Safe from all judgment. Help us, Lord, to rejoice always in you. That our eyes are going to be looking upon your second coming. When you will restore all things as new 